Okay, um, are we we're good to go, uh, Ed? Okay, uh, back to Exodus chapter 17. So we, we had that um, in Romans chapter 5 that people, people are types, Adam, type of Christ, type of him who was to come, type of Christ. Uh, we had uh, in Acts 7, we have um, that things are types, the tabernacle, all of these, these things, um, the holidays, the Jewish holidays, that kind of thing, uh, things. Uh, and that could be connected to with 1 Corinthians chapter 10, which was events. Events are types or examples for us. Um, then we had uh, in Hebrews chapter 5 and 6 this uh, spiritual immaturity, the spiritual immaturity that was linked with not understanding the types. Um, I think practically speaking, uh, you know, some have said that, you know, that the uh, you go to school, the first thing you learn to do before you read is what? You learn the alphabet. You learn your ABCs. And so uh, I think Sir Robert Anderson said that, that the types, all these pictures in the Old Testament are the ABCs in which the New Testament is written, right? And so, hey, you know, today uh, people have this challenge uh, understanding the book of the Revelation. And, hey, it is, there are hard things to understand. But many of the the allusions, the Apostle John uses in the Revelation are types, right? And we're going to see that in this next session that, hey, the Apostle John was a student of the Old Testament. Okay, so Revelation connected uh, with the types. So uh, then we went to uh, Matthew chapter uh, 27. We saw, hey, the types were important to, to the Lord. Hey, right? We saw at the cross that at that exact moment in, in time and in eternity when Christ uh, the Lord Jesus Christ bowed his head and gave up his spirit uh, that the veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom. And that's a type, right? That's a type of his flesh. We have that from Hebrews. Now, in um, Exodus chapter 17, in Exodus chapter 17, uh, we'll, read, um, we'll read, we'll read, we'll read chapter, begin in verse 1. It says, Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord and camped in Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it that you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And so um, well, we already have from 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that that rock, you remember that rock, which was Christ. Okay, so this is... Um, uh, this is this is all types what we have here. You know, this whole uh, the leaving of the Exodus, the crossing of the Red Sea. What's the crossing of the Red Sea a picture of? Huh? Baptism. Baptism. We have that in First Peter, right? That's what he says. I mean, he doesn't he doesn't even he just passes over it, and makes it as a statement of fact. So baptism, uh, the Red Sea. Uh, Hey, what's the manna from heaven? That's chapter 16, right? This is how their life is sustained. What do you think manna is a picture of? Well, the word of God, right? I mean, hey, that's, we'd give you a dozen connections with, a dozen connections with Exodus 16 and the word of God. And so uh, manna from heaven, that's that, uh, hey, they had to collect it every morning, right? You've heard people say, I have a friend who's a preacher says, hey, I, you get up in the morning, and you go out into the day without reading the word of God, you set yourself up for a spiritual downfall, for a spiritual trip. He said, that's just the fact. And hey, we know that from experience. History tells me in my life, hey, it's true. But do I learn from history? Sadly, not often. So um, 
That's Exodus chapter 16. And then here in chapter 17, um, what's water a picture of, do you think? It's a picture of the Spirit of God, right? And so it was after the rock was smitten that the water came. Well, that's John chapter 16. What did the Lord Jesus say? Uh, why was it necessary for him to go? Why was it necessary for him to go to the cross? So that the Spirit could come. He had to be smitten. That's the picture. That's what John's thinking about in recording those words of the upper, upper room discourse of the Lord Jesus. Hey, when the Spirit of God comes, what immediately happens after? What happens when the Spirit of God comes according to Galatians? When the Spirit of God comes to live within, you know what happens? Conflict, right? Right? I mean, isn't, isn't that true? Right? That's, the conflict is with who? It's with the flesh. Well, actually, right after this story, you notice that the Amalekites come in, in verse 8 of chapter 17, and that's through to the end of the chapter. And the Amalekites are a picture of what? They're a picture of the flesh. Actually, they're the, the initiators of the conflict. Who initiates the conflict in, um, in Galatians 4? It's the flesh that wars against the spirit, right? I mean, uh, hey, why? Hey, tell me why. Why is uh, it possible to watch uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy in the extended version in one sitting but not read your bible through the night right am i right about that or maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm the only guy who's ever done that in one sitting okay like i can do that easy i can hardly you know keep take my eyes off it and people say i have trouble sleeping at night well you know what a good solution for that is hey try praying or try reading your bible if you have trouble sleeping at night try reading your bible why because the flesh wars against the spirit and so that's pictured here in type. But what we want to think about is this water from the rock. And so the, the Lord is very specific that Moses is to take the rod that was used in Egypt, that rod of judgment, right, that rod of judgment, and it was to smite, he was to smite the rock with it and out would come water. How much water? Streams? Have you ever pictured how much water it actually would be? Well, how many Israelis were there? How many Israelites came out of Egypt? Hey, a conservative number is 300, or 3 million. That's a conservative number. Um, there were over 800,000 that could bear the sword. So they say, hey, conservatively, there were more than 3 million. How many people live in the state of Connecticut? Does anybody know? Oh, so about almost as many people as live in the state of Connecticut, Exodus, exited the land in Exodus chapter 12 and crossed through the Red Sea. Um, William MacDonald in his, um, in his book, The Wonders of God, says, hey, he says, he doesn't know what you think when you close your eyes and you picture the Red Sea. But he says this, for three million people to cross through the Red Sea in one night, he said they came through 5,000 abreast plus livestock. And so when God opened the, the rock for water, it would have been rivers of living water. And in fact, that's what the psalm says. When the psalms refers to the rock, it's rivers that he talks about. Okay, so, so the miracle of uh, Exodus chapter 17, water from the rock, this is connected with the death of the Lord Jesus, right? We have that from 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 10. So now turn over to Numbers chapter 33. This isn't where I want to be. Numbers chapter. It's not Numbers chapter uh, 33 that I want. Uh, numbers chapter 20, sorry. 
Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20, verse 1 says, Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the, month, in the first month. And the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord, um, the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness, that we and our animals should die here? Why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? Is it not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink? So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock, and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock and said to them, Hear now, you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. And so, um, what's happening here? Well, this is where Moses is denied entrance into the promised land. What was his error? What was his mistake? What was his sin? Um, well, people say it was disobedience. You say, well, okay, yeah, it would include disobedience, but I'm going to suggest to you it's far more than that. What, what Moses did was mar God's type. Notice, um, notice that the rock had already been smitten. Moses was not commanded to smite the rock. He was commanded to speak to the rock. And actually the rod... The rod, you notice the distinction, it was not the same rod as from Exodus chapter 17. Um, it was the rod, um, it's mentioned twice here. Um, take the rod in verse 8, and then he tells us where this rod came from. Um, verse 9, so Moses took the rod from before the Lord. Okay, so if you turn back just one, one or two pages... Um, to chapter uh, 17. In chapter 17, it's the budding of Aaron's rod. Okay? And uh, so we know this. There's this There's this conflict in the congregation of who's in leadership. Right? That's the point, And that's still the problem. The conflict of who's in leadership. And, um, and those who had a position uh, wanted a different position. And so they're arguing with, with Aaron. And so the Lord says simply... Uh, Everybody take a rod, and in verse 7, Moses placed the rods, that's a rod from all these families, uh, before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness, and says in verse 8, Now it came to pass the next day that Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron of the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds, had produced blossoms and yielded almonds, ripe almonds. Then Moses brought out all of the rods from before the Lord, uh, to all the children of Israel, and they looked, and each man took his rod, and notice this, and the Lord said to Moses, bring Aaron's rod back before the testimony to be kept as a sign. And so that was the rod from before the Lord. And so that rod was connected with what? It was connected with priesthood. It wasn't connected with the rock in the sense of judgment or with the river of Nile, which you remember that was the original rod. Moses was to take and smite the rock with the rod that was from Egypt, uh, that was the smiting of the, of the river Nile, that rod. It wasn't that rod. It was the rod of Aaron that budded, and this is connected with priesthood. Hey, you remember that 
that Paul said in Hebrews that the problem in the, in the spiritual immaturity amongst the believers in his day was a lack of understanding of the priesthood of the Lord Jesus. He said, I'd like to talk to you for, for the whole day, for the whole sessions, uh, uh, all weekend, I'd like to talk to you about the eternal priesthood of the Lord Jesus. But he said, you can't, you can't understand it because you're spiritually immature. And so uh, was, this was, was the challenge in his day. Well, that's what we have here. And so uh, Moses uh, marred the picture, God's picture, his type of the Lord Jesus in his eternal priesthood. And consequently, uh, he wasn't allowed to enter the promised land. So again, we come back, hey, we saw at the cross, at the cross, uh, the importance of the types to God, loving what God loves. But hey, there's also judgment connected with not understanding these things. Actually, Moses was hindered from going in, taking the children of Israel into the promised land for simply marring God's type, uh, his cross work of the Lord Jesus, right? And so this idea of once smitten, you know, that's what we have back in Exodus chapter 17. Hey, you know in your, in your black hymn book that we sing out of, often the hymn writers talk about that the Lord Jesus was once smitten, right? He was once slain for sinners. That, that the, this is the emphasis of the New Testament, and it's grounded here in the Old Testament type. So, uh, the importance of types. Turn to um, uh, John chapter 3. Um, now we said that John John was a, um, a student of the types, okay? Uh, he was a student of the feasts of Leviticus chapter 23, uh, the feast of Jehovah. Um, actually, uh, Elwood McQuaid in his book, The Outpouring of the Spirit, says that actually most of John's gospel is in the context of the feasts from Leviticus chapter 23, right? Actually, all your timing. Uh, hey, chapter 3 uh, was at the Passover, right? Uh, verse 23. And Elwood McQuaid says actually all seven feasts are, are most likely represented in John's gospel. So, I mean, this is what he says. This is Friends of Israel. Uh, I've read the book, The Outpouring of the Spirit's Good. Uh, it's meaty. It's meaty. It's it's hard to work through, but you you see things there. And and um, hey, if we want to be students, we have to certainly take on meaty subjects, right? If you wanted to be a doctor, or a lawyer, or uh, a school teacher, didn't you have to study? Do you guys have to study for home ec? Or if, did you a little bit? John, is that true or no? <laughs> John says no. <laughs> uh, but anyways, we have to go to school for how long? Post secondary. Six years, okay? So, so that's what you have to do to be a teacher. You want to be a doctor? Hey, you have a, a, a daughter that's a doctor. How long is the schooling? Oh, you're a doctor. How long is the school? Six, seven years, right? I mean, so if we want to be, we want to be helping people spiritually, we want to be students of the Word of God, right? We want to be challenged in these things. And so the feast of the Passover was the timing. Notice this. Um, it says, there was a man in verse 1 of chapter 3, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, 
that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so um, the Lord Jesus, in speaking to Nicodemus, now asked the question, hey, was Nicodemus on his way to heaven when he came to the Lord Jesus in John chapter 3? You know, I love preaching from John chapter 3, you know, say to, to children at the summer camps and, uh, you know, go through the life of Nicodemus. Say, uh, hey, do you think Nicodemus knew the Bible? They're like, yeah, he probably knew the Bible. Hey, say, probably, hey, listen, Nicodemus probably knew the Old Testament, the whole thing by heart. Is that, come on, that's ridiculous. Hey, listen, Orthodox Jewish children that were raised in an Orthodox Jewish home, you know how much of the Bible they learned? The Torah. Do you know what the Torah is? It's the first five books. That's what they learned in their home. So, so they learned that. Hey, Nicodemus knew that. He probably knew the whole Old Testament. Hey, the Apostle Paul probably knew the whole Old Testament by heart. And so Nicodemus knew the whole Old Testament. Say to kids, um, hey, what did he do for a living? I said, well, he was a teacher. I said, well, actually, the Lord Jesus said he was the teacher. There's a difference between a teacher and the teacher, and he was the teacher in Israel. Um, say, hey, do you think he was good living? You think he was good living? What do you think? Yeah, he was good living. Of course he was. Hey, if he wasn't good living, and had no authority whatsoever to teach from the Scriptures. Now, I'm not saying he might have been hypocritical, but, hey, he would have been good living by all accounts. Hey, the Apostle Paul said he was blameless when it came to the law. Was he on his way to heaven? No. And so he would have been good living. I said, do you think he prayed? I said, yeah, he probably prayed. Why wouldn't he pray? Probably prayed. I said, do you think he was baptized? I said, yeah, if... if if there was baptism to be had, a hey, Nicodemus would have been baptized. I said, hey, if Nicodemus had died in chapter 2, where would he have gone? He would have gone to a lost eternity. Why? Because he wasn't born again. And interesting, isn't it, what the Lord Jesus uses to help Nicodemus to understand this principle? What does he use? He uses a type. That's what Jesus did. He actually used the, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What is that back in Numbers chapter 21? It's a type. You know, um, Tiernus Wilson points out that in all five books of Moses, there is a unique type in each one of them of the cross of the Lord Jesus. What are they? What's in Genesis? What's the unique picture, type of the cross of the Lord Jesus in Genesis? The one we most hear read in the Lord's Supper. Genesis 22, right? Abraham and Isaac going up Mount Moriah. Hey, what mount did the Lord Jesus die on? Mount Moriah, on the third northernmost peak. That's where he died on Mount Moriah. So, I mean, that's... that's God is exact on those things. And so, uh, uh, Genesis 22. Hey, what's the unique unique picture or type of the cross of the Lord Jesus in the book of Exodus? Exodus 12, the Passover. Hey, uh, lots of people, Gentile people will be in heaven because of Exodus chapter 12. You think that's true? Hey, Ruth the Moabitess, you guys just had a message on Ruth, didn't you? A couple, couple weeks ago, a month ago, right? How did, how did, um, how did these guys here, Rahab the harlot, you know, she's connected to Ruth. How did they get in? Rahab, uh, remember she says, we heard what God did for your people in Exodus. We did, he did to Pharaoh in judging on your behalf. And so Rahab, and she would have taught that to, to Boaz, to her grandson, and Boaz would have certainly taught that to Ruth. And so there's this connection to the Passover. How about in Leviticus? What's the unique picture of the cross in Leviticus? It's the Day of Atonement. Who worked on the Day of Atonement? 
Who did all the work on the Day of Atonement? One person, the High Priest. He's the only one who worked on the Day of Atonement. Right? Uh, what about numbers? What's the unique picture? It's right here. The Lord Jesus gives it. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What about in Deuteronomy? What's the unique picture of the cross of the Lord Jesus in Deuteronomy? It comes from the same chapter uh, in the sense, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 21, you have Numbers 21, that's, that's the uh, uh, Moses and the serpent. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 21, you have um, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That's the unique picture of the cross work of the Lord Jesus. And so, so the Lord Jesus used types to help Nicodemus, who was a, a, a who knew the word but wasn't born again. So the value of the types. So, um, would you be surprised to know that more than more than fifty percent of evangelical Christianity in North America does not believe you need to be born again? What do you think about that? Think that's true? More than 50%. Say, well, that sounds a bit jarring, and of course you could fact check it, and people often do, and there's varying numbers, because of course then you have to divide what, what's true evangelical Christianity and how do all these things fit together. But, mo and I'm talking, hey, many of these groups are conservative groups, and they don't believe that. They don't believe you need to be born again. Now, it's a bit jarring when the Lord Jesus says this clear language, uh, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Hey, I've got a friend, uh, an elder in our assembly, and if you don't think this is true, uh, uh, the town of uh, Chilliwack, or the city of Chilliwack, where he lives, 25,000 people. He was a part for most of his growing up years in a church that has like 1,500, okay? Okay. Uh, 1500 they they break bread once a month okay they put the emblems up at the front of the of the auditorium and uh if you're born again you can go up there you know how many people he says go up every every month remember the lord he's like six sometimes nine but mostly six people that's 1500 almost 1500 people that's all the ones who think are born again hey uh my son-in-law the other night uh, in Abbotsford, bought a couch, uh, went, bought a couch from his family, and when they went in, uh, he saw they had Amplified Bible and, and um, uh, all these uh, Christian books on their bookshelf, and he said, are you guys Christians? He said, yeah. Are you guys? He said, yeah, we're Christians. Um, he said, we're uh, born-again Christians. You know what that means? He goes, yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're not. Uh, he said, I was born a Christian. I've always been a Christian. Is that, is that jarring when the Lord Jesus says, except a man be born again? Well, here, here's, their, here's their argument. Hey, how many times is born again, those two words side by side, side by side, used in the New Testament? Well, two different passages, twice here, right? Twice here, and once in um, 1 Peter. They say, come on, it's only mentioned a couple of times. Hey, we know that that's often people's argument for lots of things, right? Hey, it's hardly ever mentioned. You know, you're majoring on minors. It's rarely ever mentioned. They say, hey, listen, if the Lord Jesus says something once, it should be enough for us. Uh, actually, I could say it's mentioned twice here and once in First Peter. So what's the Lord Jesus mean being born again? Uh, you know, because only John mentions it, uh, Peter mentions it. Well, it, whatever it is, it happens by water and the Spirit. And so what's water a picture of? Well, it's not a picture of baptism. That's most people's guess is it's got to be baptism. We say, well, in this case, no. Water is a picture of the Word of God. Could we prove that from Scripture? Um... Is water ever a symbol? Because we know, hey, there's types and symbols, right? We've been talking about that. So is water ever a picture of the Word of God? Back in Exodus, it seemed to be linked with the Spirit of God. Is water ever linked with the Word of God? We say, well, yeah, it is. The psalmist said, how will a young man cleanse his way? How does a young man wash his way? By what? By taking heed unto the Word of God. Hey, how is the church cleansed? How is she washed in Ephesians chapter 5? 
washed by the water of the word, cleansed by the word. And so um, we come back to this idea of, of reading the scripture. Hey, the value of reading the scripture, at some level, it cleanses our life and uh, gets in and changes our thinking. So uh, water uh, pictured as the word of God and the spirit, of course, the spirit of God. So the spirit applies the word of God. Hey, we heard a story last night uh, and the wonderful, uh, our God is wonderful. And um, let me think who it was. It was Abigail or Elizabeth. Who liked that part of the story? Who? Karen? About the word? Really? It was somebody sitting across from me. I know it wasn't John. He was asking the questions. He never answers them, but he asked them all. But anyways, uh, so Karen, she liked in the story that, that the guy was given a New Testament, right? Given a New Testament, he went home and he read it. And guess what happened? He was born again. Hey, how many times do you think that's happened? Hey, extensively, endlessly. And so the Spirit of God applies the Word of God and people are born again. Well, this is what Peter says, right? Peter says, um, you remember this verse, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible by the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. Right? This is in 1 Peter chapter 1. And so the Lord Jesus says to Nicodemus, it happens by water and it happens by the Spirit. These things, two things come together and a person is born again. And we would suggest this is probably what happened in Nicodemus's life that night. So um, people argue, well, it's only mentioned twice. We say, well, it's only mentioned as being born again in John's gospel and uh, in Peter's first epistle. But the, the theme is throughout the New Testament. So we want to turn back. And we remember we said John was a student of the Old Testament. We want to be able to see that. And so turn to um, first. Before we see that, we want to turn to... Um, uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so... Uh, we would we would we would see this we would see this as Paul's corresponding idea Paul's corresponding idea to what the Lord Jesus is talking about in John's gospel uh, you remember that in John's gospel uh, the Lord Jesus said this statement to Nicodemus he said Nicodemus you're the teacher in Israel you should know this stuff that's what he said right Nicodemus how is it you being the teacher in Israel you don't know this stuff well, what's that tell us? That tells us that, that the idea of being born again must have existed in the Old Testament. That in Nicodemus' reading through or studying or memorizing the Old Testament, that somewhere back there it must have talked about that. Well, in fact, in Ezekiel chapter 37 it does. In Ezekiel chapter 37 it says, being born of water and the Spirit and a clean heart, a new heart connected with this. And so that's where the Lord Jesus would have been challenging Nicodemus back to. It would have been unfair of him to say that to Nicodemus if it didn't exist in the Old Testament. So he challenges Nicodemus. Nicodemus goes back, or in his mind possibly goes back to Ezekiel chapter 37. Now, the Apostle Paul here talking of this new creation, this is similar language, very similar language to what John is talking about in chapter 3 and what Peter is talking about in 1 Peter 1, right? Um, but, you know, when Paul thinks about it, notice in, um, notice in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, just the previous chapter, verse 6, notice the words of the Apostle Paul. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let me read that again. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Where is he taking us? What, what's he thinking? What's his picture? Where's that come from? That comes from Genesis chapter 1. Paul is going right back 
right back to the original creation and somehow linking it to being born again or to the new creation. That's what he's doing. Um, no, um, Alex, um, uh, Graham Scroggy has a book entitled um, The Unfolding Drama of Redemption. It's this idea um, of, this, of this theme of redemption running from Genesis right to Revelation. You know, he says that um, although this, uh, this world is magnificent in its glory and it, and it reveals the glory of the Creator, he says it's just a stage. You know what a stage is, right? Um, my daughter has a sandwich or had a sandwich business, and so she would deliver uh, uh, sandwiches to, to film sets, to movie sets. Uh, yeah, mostly, like, I mean, up in our part of the country, Vancouver, it's just crazy how many, uh, how many movies and films and shows Netflix is doing. There's hundreds of them going on all the time. And so she's delivering uh, sandwiches to these construction crews, and, and um, uh, the one was called uh, Virgin River. Never seen the show. I don't even know if it's out yet. And it's, uh, f do you know what? Yeah, it's filmed in Northern California. No, it's filmed in Vancouver. The whole thing's a facade. It's all fake, right? They fly in there, and they pretend they're in a small northern community in California, right? They're in Vancouver, downtown almost, in a in a big warehouse with all this fake or all this lighting and shadows to make all this stuff none of it's real okay i mean i guess it's a good i don't know if it's a good story i don't know but anyways the point is that that um at some level this world everything you can see is a stage and paul says actually in this chapter that's just temporary if you can see it it's just temporary and he said, this stage on which God, this is what Graham Scroggy says, on which God would outwork his drama of redemption. That this is the theme, that man could be taken from this scene in time, and by the work of Christ on the cross, the Word and the Spirit could be transported to be with him forever. That's, that's the point. And so Paul, um, when he thinks about this new birth, he can go right back to Genesis chapter 1. So when people say, hey, John's thinking... Uh, Jesus is challenging Nicodemus about this obscure passage way back in Ezekiel. Say, hey, Paul, when he thinks about it, he goes right back to Genesis chapter 1. Actually, you remember that, um, you remember that, that um, it was by water and the Spirit, right? We got that, right? Water and the Spirit in John chapter 3. Where's the first mention of water and the Spirit in the Bible? Man, if this was a camp, we'd have hands going up. Where, James? What's it say? Brooded over the waters. Yeah, let's go back. Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to, in the last few minutes we have, show, show how, um, hey, it wasn't just Paul who understood Genesis. John understood Genesis. And so... Uh, Genesis chapter 3, or sorry, 2, in the Spirit of God, it's, uh, it's 2. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. There was light. Okay? Uh, and the light was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. So what happened on day 1? Let's get that. Let's, in our mind, picture a chart here. Okay, so day one was light. Okay, what was day two? Um, day two was the waters, right? The dividing of the waters. Okay, that's day two. Okay, um, what do you got? And then um, day three, the earth, right? It begins at verse 9, or what do you got? Kim, what do you got? You're not shaking your head this way. Okay, so so day one is light. Day two is connected with um, with water. Okay, day three is connected with the earth. Okay, so we got light, water, earth. Okay, what about day four? Day four is over here. What do you got? John, Amy. Amy's got, what do you got? Huh? 
Yeah, so we got light. Again, it's light. It's light over here. So day one is light. Day two is um, water, and water's divided. Um, day three is the earth. Okay, over here, over here we've got day four is uh, light. Day five is is the water, and day six is the earth. Right? Am I right, James? You think so? Okay. So 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 one, two, three. Light, water, earth. Light, water, earth. Okay. And so they go one to four, two to five, three to six. The seventh day, of course, is the seventh day, the day of rest. So it doesn't count, but it's the day of rest. Um, hey, was John's gospel, was it written in days? Well, is John's gospel connected to Genesis? Like, okay, we could think of numerically. Let's think of numerically. How many books did Moses write? Five. How many books did John write? Five. I mean, this is a complete work, the Bible. So the, the, the writer of the first five books, the writer of the last five. Well, the last one in the previous three epistles and then the gospel. Uh, actually, uh, the scholars tell us the last five books written in the New Testament, who, who wrote them? John wrote them, right? Laid on. The last writings, John's Gospel, hey, some, uh, Graham Scroggie in his Guide to the Gospel says, hey, John's Gospel could have been actually the last book written, not even the Revelation. He said probably maybe as late as 95 AD. So John had had this opportunity to look down one whole century of the New Testament church almost and see the challenges, right, that the believers were having. And so the last, so you see it numerically. Uh, hey, the devil makes his entrance in uh, which chapter? Third chapter in, right? Is that right? Hey, where does he make his exit? Is that right? He makes his exit three from the end, right? And the third chapter is his exit. So, I mean, I, you know, I don't know if you're much for numbers, but there's lots of numbers in the Bible. Um, so, so in Genesis chapter 1, it begins with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How does John 1 begin? In the beginning was the Word. Same, same language. Um, hey, seven days of creation. What's John's favorite number? Hey, do you know any sevens from John's writings? Give me, give me, start with who? Start with the easy ones. The I am statement, seven of them. Who's got another one? The seven churches of the Revelation. Who's got another one? Hey, Nicodemus came at night. Right? How many times is night mentioned in John's Gospel? Seven. Right. Hey. Hey, John chapter 4. John chapter 4. John chapter 4 is the woman by the well. Who's she looking for in her life? She's looking for the perfect man. Hey, what number was Jesus? She'd had five husbands. She was living with number six. She finally met the perfect man by the well. Hey, there's that. I mean, that's a devotional thought. Hey, what about the seven vials, the seven trumpets? Hey, there's lots of sevens. Seven miracles or signs before the cross. John's favorite number is seven. He gets that from Genesis 1. So we see those kind of connections. I asked the question, what did, um, is John's gospel written in days? Well, let's turn to it. John chapter 1. Well, verse 28 says, um, Now these things were done in Bethbara beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. Now we know this, that in English, it's not a Semitic language, so it's not like Hebrew or Greek. In Greek, 
the subject always comes at the beginning. So if you um, if you say preach uh, say preach in um, or or speak and have to be translated in 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 um, Spanish, for instance, it can be translated simultaneously, right? Meaning that it goes along the flow of language, flows along. It can be translated simultaneously. That does not happen in uh, India, right? If you want to be translated into into some of the Indian languages, it can't be simultaneously. Why? Because they put the subject at the beginning of the sentence, right? So they have to wait till you get to the subject, like what the what the point is, and so it has to be thought for thought if you're going to be translated into some of those Semitic languages. So John's gospel was written in Greek, and so uh, it's always at the beginning, right? And so you have this. Notice verse 29. I asked the question back there: Is John's gospel written in days? The next day, verse 29, that's the beginning of that paragraph. Verse 35, again, the next day. Uh, verse 43, the following day. Hey, chapter 2, verse 1, on the third day. So when I, when I ask the question, is John's gospel written in days? Chapter 1, I say, yeah, it is. Actually, it continues on into chapter 3, or chapter 2. So, um, on our chart... Light, water, earth. Light, water, earth. Hey, what's um, the first paragraph, the first major paragraph about in John's Gospel? Well, if it's about repetition, which it is, like if we're going to use repetition as the point, what's it about? It's about light, right? It would have been nice for preaching if it was mentioned seven times, but it's not. I think it's a different number than that. But anyways, it's still... Um, uh, verse 6 says, um, oh no, light, we could start earlier. Uh, verse 5, and the light shines in the darkness, the darkness did not comprehend it. Well, actually, it's earlier than that. In him was life, and the life was the light of man, and the light shines in the darkness. Um, verse 6 says, or verse 7, this man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light. Uh, he was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Okay? Um, that was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. So the light is the main point of John chapter 1, the first paragraph. So that corresponds here and it corresponds there. Then in uh, the second day, the second day it was water divided. Remember that? That's what it said, the water was divided. Now we had that earlier, but it still said water divided. Hey, you know what the second major paragraph is about? The baptism of the Lord Jesus. It happened because there was much water there. That's why he was doing it in Bethbara, because there was much water there. So the baptism of the Lord Jesus. Hey, what's baptism signify? It signifies death, Paul says in Romans chapter 6. This is what he teaches. It separates death and it or sorry, it signifies death and it signifies separation. Hey, you know in countries, in countries where Christians are persecuted, they can be born again. And they don't start to suffer persecution. When does the persecution start? When they're baptized. It speaks of a separated life. And so the second section of John's gospel is the baptism of the Lord Jesus. And that's what, what it's about. Separation, death, right? We have that from Genesis 1. So that's here. And then we remember the, the third and the sixth day, okay? The third and the sixth day was what? The earth. Hey, listen to this verse. Verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, of the earth. But it's the word for cosmos. And, you know, John uses this word world 78 times in his gospel. It's a main theme. Now, um, here's the mistake that most of the world makes. Um, black lives matter, but not black life. Not the individual life. You know, um, Christians who read and study the Word of God know this. That individual life matters to God. And you know, although John's Gospel is a Gospel that's written to and for the world, it's John's Gospel that we go through and we follow that the Lord Jesus touches lives one individual at a time at a time. And so, hey, 
Black Lives Matter, we hear this preach and we say, well, we do agree with it at some level. We certainly don't agree with lots of things that go on, but don't Christians believe that? Well, hey, listen, we believe that each individual life matters, and we do not believe in the sacrificing of the individual for the sake of the whole. We know from history that doesn't work. Hey, who was Time's Man of the Year in 1938? You believe the media? Hey, Time Magazine's a famous American uh, news periodical. Who was Time's Man of the Year in 1938? Adolf Hitler. Hey, who was Time's Man of the Year in 1939? Joseph Stalin. Who was Time's Man of the Year in 1942? Hey, Joseph Stalin again. Joseph Stalin, under the guise of community, the common of all, was responsible for five million individual deaths of his own people. Adolf Hitler responsible for millions of deaths of individual people, each one precious to the Lord, all under the guise of the best for humanity. Hey, so we come to John's Gospel and we think of the world. Hey, God is, is saving the world, but he's saving them one individual at a time. And so, hey, this message that John was thinking about the need to be born again, hey, he was giving this message to us. And so we can go out, hey, even though uh, there's a little bit of persecution and challenges to this, we can still go out and we can, we can preach these things to the world and um, preach the word of God and the spirit of God applies the word of God into the hearts of people and people are born again, one individual at a time. And so, hey, John was a student of the book of Genesis and we'll see some more of that as we work through that. But the value of the types... Hey, John, not just those other things we thought about earlier. Hey, John studied the types. He was a student of the Old Testament. So hopefully these things can um, challenge us in our thinking um, and encourage us uh, in coming to know the Word of God that we might know the Lord Jesus. That's the purpose of Bible study, not, not just to um, uh, increase our, our um, knowledge but to uh, increase our knowledge and link with that in our knowledge of Christ and that's what the Apostle Paul prayed that I might know him right as he's revealed through his word let's pray father we're uh, again grateful for your word we ask that um, you would help us to uh, learn these things and to uh, be changed we remember the words of the Apostle Paul that as we behold the glory of the Lord uh, in your word, as in a mirror, we are changed into his image. And that's what we pray for, Father, that we might be changed for being here today. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.